0: Am I on? Good. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for being here. I pray that the Lord will richly bless you, and I pray through the teaching of His Word that He will strengthen you in the inner man to help you to endure, to persevere, to be patient, and to get all the toilet paper you need. Uh, it's been a. It's been a, It's been a good time. I don't know about you, but. Um, Enabled me to take a deep breath and let it out slowly and to slow down just a little bit. And I'm finding the time with Lord um, to be a very precious, precious thing. And I'm enjoying it so much. And uh, I kind of, you know, not looking forward to getting back into the rat race when it starts up again. But who knows, right? Who knows what's going to happen here in the next month or so. I guess you're like us, we're just taking it day by day and uh, we're not, I wouldn't say that we're, we're suffering all that much. A matter of fact, I don't think I'm really suffering at all. I think I've gained a few pounds since this whole thing started. But nevertheless, uh, that's not everybody's story, is it? Not everybody is uh, faring well through this. And I think especially of, of the families that have lost loved ones to this virus. And the heartbreak it must be bringing them and perhaps even some of the conflicted feelings as they they wonder, what is God doing? And why would God take my child or my husband or my grandparents? So the only answer we can have is that it's by the grace of God that not all of us have been taken. And it's by his grace that he sustains us and that His grace will be sufficient for us in times of need. Um, We have been privileged with uh, delivering several food boxes to families who have been laid off from their work. And I just want to remind all of you guys um, that if you have a need and, you know, times are tough and finances are really stretched right now, and you're feeling just a little insecure about what's coming up, please give the church a call and we will arrange for a food box to be brought to you. Um, We have some resources and we have some connections of putting these food boxes together, but it will cost you nothing. You don't have to even come to your door. We'll leave it at the doorstep and wave to you as we drive away, shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord. Get out there before the ice cream melts, right? All right. Let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to be studying verse 21 tonight. Father, you are the God of the written word. And this isn't just any written word This is the Word that has been Spirit-breathed. We recognize that it is the rhema, the alive Word, that it is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it divides the things within our own hearts and our spirits, and the things that are of the flesh, and it gives us the insight for living that we need, especially for times like today. We're so thankful for the comfort and the encouragement and the spiritual strength that comes through your word, Lord. It is our delight. It is in what we trust because it has come from you, the true and the living God. So bless the time that we have now in your word. Give us understanding. Give us comfort. Give us conviction. And mostly, Father, just hold us by your hands of grace. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You guys remember the TV show back in the 70s called All in the Family? That was a picture of probably one of the most dysfunctional families we'd ever seen up until that time. They certainly weren't June and uh, Mr. Cleaver, you know, Beaver's mom and dad. can't remember his name right now. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Ward. Ward thank you, Vinny. <laughs> um, these days can stress a family. If you, were working, if you are working at home now and you have young, elementary age kids, I bet you've got a challenge on your hands trying to juggle it and keep it all together. I bet you can't wait the day to come that you can get back to work and have some peace. Happens, happens every summer, doesn't it? Sort of. Uh, perhaps uh, you're learning more about people in your family than you ever knew before or ever wanted to know. It can be tough. And we have this hope that perhaps by the end of this month things will be released and we can get back to some semblance of normal. But there's no guarantee. And the question is, given your current situation, how long can you hold out? And I mean hold out with one another. I don't mean financially. You see, when the finances run out, that's going to bring a whole new set of burdens, isn't it? A whole new set of pressures in the family. Have you noticed how there are some people in your family that don't handle that kind of pressure? Well, That they wear it on their sleeve, and and it, it colors every interaction that they have with other family members and even though we're Christians we still are people made out of flesh and bones and we tend to give into that that carnal nature and forget about the precious promises of God you got to realize that in Colossians you're writing to a group of people who are actually suffering a whole lot more than we are right now they were under persecution They were under the government of Nero. And if you have your questions about President Trump, you definitely would be having your questions about Emperor Nero. He was totally out of his mind and demon possessed. And persecution is breaking out, and you're hearing the stories. And you're beginning to get ostracized in your own community because you are one of those weird, crazy people who likes to kiss your sister and eat the body and blood of of other human beings. I mean, that's the rep you got right now. So that's the kind of situation that Paul is writing about in Colossae. To these Christians in Colossae. You've heard it said many times that God's word gives us insight for living. And that's where we're at, At a passage that deals with shoe leather in life. Putting practicality to what you believe. We have a spiritual principle today that we're going to look at. Now a principle, you know, there are principles and there are precepts, right? Precepts are the hard and fast rules, and the principles are rules that are applied within borders and guidelines. It's different from everybody else. Everybody will see it just a little bit differently and apply it a little bit differently. But still, it is God's word and God's word is true. So as I'm reading through this study and you see that there is some characteristic that relates to you, that is something for you to take before God in the throne room in the Holy of Holies and ask for grace and mercy in your time of need. You may need to be forgiven for things and not be held hopefully accountable for some of the mistakes that you've made. You may need to receive a grace in the sense of getting insight in how to deal with a particular situation. But it's your chance. It's your opportunity to grow in grace. Now, as we come to verse 21 in Colossians 3, Paul has given specific instructions for the wife to submit to her husband. And he's given specific instructions for the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And he's given specific instructions for the children to obey their parents. Tonight, we look at the parents' responsibility to not provoke their children. You know, it's always easy to get on the most uh, vulnerable of those in our family and to take out our moods and our tempers. Look at verse 21. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The Amplified Version renders that verse this way. Fathers, do not provoke or irritate or fret your children. Do not be hard on them or harass them. Lest they become discouraged and sullen and morose and feel inferior and frustrated, do not break their spirit. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Um, I got to tell you, you know, I look at children and I love them and I oftentimes prefer their world. The innocence, the carefreeness, at least that's what we think of, but do you remember your own childhood? There were some aspects of that, but there were some aspects about childhood that were just hard and difficult. Um, it's like Kermit the Frog said in the Muppets, right? It ain't easy being green, right? It ain't easy being a kid. Fathers, it says, do not provoke your children, irritate or fret your children, don't be hard on them or harass them. Now, that word fathers in Colossians 3.21 could be translated parents. It is in Hebrews 11.23. So it could be rendered either simply fathers or it could be rendered parents. We're going to look at it from a parent's point of view, but I'll tell you right now, dads, you are responsible for taking the lead in this, okay? Most ancient fathers and educators would beat their children just as a matter of course. You remember the jokes? I don't know about you, but my family, were a little twisted. You know, come on out here, Dennis, for your daily beating. You know, come on out. It's time to get your beating. Well, that's uh, the way it was back in the day. Now, children have a responsibility to obey their parents. Paul said so, but parents, and here put into one as a father, you have a responsibility to not provoke your child. Paul is making it clear that parents must make it as easy as possible for children to obey. We often discipline for our own pleasure as dads for our own convenience, but here he's saying get out of your own comfort zone and do what's best for your child. Make it easy for them to obey. Now to provoke means to nag as a habit, to irritate, fret, and to exasperate, to be hard on them. One commentator said, irritate by exacting commands and perpetual fault-finding and interference for interference's sake. Just messing with them. Parents can provoke their children by being too harsh, too demanding, too controlling, unforgiving, or just plain angry. The harshness can be expressed through your words, through your actions, through your attitude, and through nonverbal communication. But there are other ways to provoke to discouragement besides just being demanding and controlling and unforgiving. David Merrill of um, the Family Minute radio program, which is aired in Tucson on the Christian radio station, gives four, four ways that we can discourage, or excuse me, provoke to discourage discouragement first one that parents can do is offer too much help in a situation. If your child is working on a paper for school or trying to learn a new skill or or get a new hairstyle, you see all the ways that would make it easier and better. And you want to do that for them. And so you offer to help them, but you're sending a message that you're not smart enough and good enough or intelligent enough to do it yourself. And they will tell you something like, I can do it myself. Or they'll give in to your suggestions and do it your way and miss an opportunity to grow when you offer too much help in a situation. Secondly, he says, you compare them to others. That's a discouraging thing. Um, why can't you be more like you ever heard that before? Anybody? Yeah. Why can't you? Uh, you know, and they turn around, and look at you in the face, and say, "Well, why can't you be more like Mr. Rogers?" You know, you want me to be more like my sister or my brother? Why can't you be more like Mr. Rogers? Now, yeah, you're just trying to motivate them by pointing out the success or failures of others. You know, like like Dave. You know, I I, I noticed that when when. When Thorsten stands up to bat, he just spreads his feet a little bit further apart. So, why don't you try that too? Oh, Thorsten's better than me. Thorsten's got it together. I'm a loser. I'm a loser. Or, or Angel, that project you're working on there it doesn't look until good. Your sister had a project like that when she was in second grade, too. Let me go find it for you. Right? And what is that telling you? Oh, the sister's got it together. I don't. Your intention, your intentions, I'm going to find that note that I just lost. Your intentions may be noble, but by comparing your child to someone else, you're telling them that they're not good enough, and then in comparison they're a loser. Another way to provoke them to discouragement is to put undue expectations upon them. When I was uh, nine years old, I was told to go clean out the, uh, the food box, not the food box we call it. It was in a stable. It was a, like, like a manger sort of a thing, but it was filled with, with hard clay. It was just rock solid, and my dad wanted me to clean that out and shovel it out. Well, I could hardly get anything out of that thing. I banged it with the shovel. I banged it with the hammer. Nothing was, was breaking loose there so I could shovel it out. So I went back into the truck and sat down, and I began to pray that God would send an angel to go clean that out for me before my dad got back. And he got back, and the angel didn't come, and <laughs> I paid the price. But that was an undue expectation. I mean, there's a time and a place for everything, but when your child tells you that they got to be on a really hard task, it's not time to say, hey, well, that's great. Can you make an A the next time? All right. He's always telling them that sense that you're just not good enough. Our children want us to praise them for their hard work and success without having us always look for how to make their performance even better. So, you know, it's like your boy goes out for football and he tells you his coach thinks that he's really doing pretty good. He's coming along. You know, don't jump in all of a sudden and suggest ways that he can even do better, okay? Let your child bask in the praise, minus any ideas for improvement you might have. And you've always got ideas for improvement, don't you, parents? Yeah, you do. Uh, The fourth way he says that you can provoke a child to discouragement is to minimize their victories. Um, You do this by really not being available to celebrate their victories. You're you're too busy to celebrate with them something they have done. You're too tired um, to fully join in on what is a really big deal for them. I mean, it can be tough. You just walk in the door, and your your second grader runs up to you and wants to show you that five-page project that they've been working on and give you a million details about it. And as much as you want her just to go away so you can sit down on the couch and get out a bag of chips and a remote control, you need to give in and give her the praise that she's craving. Another way to exasperate a child or a teen is to neglect them. I see this a lot as a youth pastor and as a teacher. You remember David and Absalom, guys, right? Um, I get the feeling that David was an absent parent. He was a neglectful parent. I think he loved his kids. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But it was love is more than just the emotion. It's how you deal with them. And I get the, the feeling that even though David was a man of war, a skilled man of war, he didn't like familial conflict. He didn't like conflict with his kids especially. And when Tamar was raped by her half-brother and Absalom saw that, he's not going to do anything about this. He's not gonna step up and confront his half-brother for this deed. That, to me, is evidence of a pattern that David had in Absalom. Well, what did he do? It exasperated him, right? It caused him to rebel. Um, Neglect in our day in time is a real issue. Matter of fact, it's considered abuse. Um, From an article in Psychology Today, I read Over the years, this is a counselor speaking, over the years I've spent countless hours helping clients understand that neglect is a form of abuse. A silent and less visible form of abuse to be sure, but every bit as damaging and more overt forms of abuse in both the short and long term. Well, what what constitutes neglect? Well, emotional abandonment. That's when parents are physically present but emotionally absent. You know, the lights are on but no one's home. On. They're there and they're not there at the same time. They're not drawing close to their kids. They're not sitting down and listening to the stories. They're just kind of tolerating them. Treating the child as a low priority isn't a form of neglect. I have time. I'm busy with my work. I'm busy with my hobby. I'm busy with my friends, I'm busy with my remote control. It's very easy for a child to learn that he or she is not important, or at least not as important as other things in a parent's life. One of the most important things a parent can do is spend time with their children. It's an encouragement for children to know that their parents, as busy as they are, would sacrifice the time for them. So, you got to make time. Don't find it. Make it. Another form of uh, neglectful abuse is is just not hearing your kids. They don't feel like they've been heard. That's when a child is shut down as they're asking questions and expressing their opinions. I mean, there's always a point when, when kids keep asking the same thing over and over again, that enough's enough, right? when uh, they keep pestering you for something that you've already said no, and they're asking you for a thousand reasons why, why, and you've already given your thousand reasons, and you got to your last one, which is because I said so. Now, there's always a place where enough is enough. And, and honestly, some ways of expressing opinions and asking questions can border on blatant disrespect, which should never be tolerated but it never should be absolutely shut down. Time and a place for the discipline, but you got to listen. you got to hear them out. When children are not allowed to ask questions or express opinions, their intellectual and psychosocial development is neglected. Warren Wiersbe said, parents need to listen and be patient as their children talk to them. A listening ear and a loving heart always goes together. You took time to have me, a child said to her father, but you won't take time to listen to me. He says that's, a, that's quite an indictment. Another form of neglect is being used as a surrogate spouse. In other words, the child is used by a parent to meet the emotional needs of that parent. You lean on them for emotional support. You pour out your troubles and you cling to them. And you make them feel like they're responsible for your mental and emotional well-being. That's just too much, guys. That's just too much. You can't handle it. What in the world do you think your child can handle it? Now, the opposite of neglect would be what? Too much attention. We call it helicopter parenting. You heard that term? Um, It's also um, been called now lawnmower parenting and snowplow parenting. Helicopter parenting, well, it describes parents who are over-involved in their children's lives. They hover close by and they swoop down to help at the first sign of trouble. Lawnmower parents and snowplow parents, uh, they don't only hover but they mow down or plow away any obstacle in a child or teenager's path. They continue this behavior from afar when teens are in college and even married. You ever seen the TV series Everybody Loves Raymond? Who was the helicopter parent, snowplow parent? right? Raymond's mom, right? One of the biggest problems with helicopter parenting is that kids don't get a chance to learn how to navigate the world on their own. Real self-esteem is built upon failure, getting up again, and trying again till eventually you succeed. That's real self-esteem. But helicopter parenting doesn't allow for that. They don't get a chance to navigate the world on their own. And that has negative emotional and mental repercussions. Now, helicopter parents don't always realize that they are hovering over their kids. They don't recognize that their children may be experiencing the negative effects of your parenting style. Let me give you a few signs that indicate a parent who is being overprotective or over-involved with their child's daily life. You remember Jeff Foxworthy? He had that routine. You might know you're a redneck if, right? If you think the stock market has a fence around it, you might be a redneck. If your school fight song was dueling banjos, you might be a redneck. Or if you were shooting pool when any of your kids were born, you might be a redneck. (laughs) You might be a helicopter parent if, You fight your child's battles. You get into a shouting match with another fourth grader for choosing your child last on the kickball team. Does that happen? (laughs) Yes, indeed it does. You might be a helicopter parent if you do their school homework for them. They work on it, they step away, you grab the paper, and you re-correct it, and you put all the right answers in there. You might be a helicopter parent if you are coaching her coaches. Standing on the sidelines of her soccer ball game, and you see all the mistakes the coach is making, and you're standing there giving him an earful. You might be a helicopter parent if you are their maid. You might be a helicopter parent if you can't let them fail. So you call their teachers, and you make excuses for why the assignment didn't get in or why they should be excused from this test. You might be a helicopter parent if you don't allow them to make make age-appropriate choices. One battle a lot of parents have is, what is the kid going to wear today? You ever battle that with your child? You choose an outfit for them, they don't want none of it. Well, we decided we would give our daughters two choices. And they could choose one of those two. And since that gave them the sense that they have owned it, they would choose. We didn't have any fights that way. But if your child is 18 years old and you're still laying out outfits on their bed for them, you might be a helicopter parent. You might be a helicopter parent if you're stepping in to negotiate your teens' homework assignments. You might be a helicopter parent if you're sending multiple texts each day to your third grader. and continue on until their college years. All right. Some of that sounded humorous, but trust me, a lot of that is going on. There's no doubt that children need guidance and support as they grow, but parents, you need to respect boundaries for them to be able to mature and thrive. All right. The last phrase in Colossians 3.21 tells us why we want to avoid provoking our children to discouragement. And that is, lest they become discouraged. Children who grow up with parents who neglect them, who overparent them, who are harsh and abusive, they become discouraged. What does that mean? Well, the amplified version renders that phrase sullen and morose. They feel inferior and frustrated. They have a broken spirit. And that can show itself from um, introvert, just turning inside themselves, or they become very violent and angry. A child will not feel the love and support from the parents like they should, and they will. C- come to believe that the whole world is against them because they feel their parents are against them discouraged children are fair prey to satan and the world guys when a child does not get ego strength at home they will seek it elsewhere i mean it's it's a sad thing that Some Christian parents do not help their children develop their personalities, their gifts, and their skills. And it's going to be a hard thing the longer we're going to be forced to be quarantined with one another. Now, it's even sadder to me, and actually this is one of the things that I hate the most, is when parents use their kids as weapons for fighting with each other. Father will forbid Junior from doing something, but mom will veto that order and give her approval. So the kid will be her friend and find something against the dad. The poor child gets caught between the parents and before long, what's he going to do? He's going to play both ends against the middle. He's going to manipulate the situation. And even worse than that are our blended families, are divorced families. When you're sharing custody with an ex and... When your children are with you, all you're doing is bad-mouthing the other parent. And then when they go to the other parent's house, they're getting bad-mouthed too. And then you're fighting, well, mom lets me do this, well, dad lets me do this. and It's a very ugly, ugly, ugly scene. A lot of our discouraged children and teens are speaking out, guys, by suicide. I'll read you the lyrics of a song by Pod. Pod. Payable on death is what they call it, P-O-D. This is lyrics from their song called The Youth of a Nation. So Johnny Boy always played the fool. He broke all the rules so you would think he was cool. He was never really one of the guys. No matter how hard he tried, he often thought of suicide. It's kind of hard when you ain't got no friends. He put his life to an end. They might remember him then. You crossed the line when there's no turning back. Tell the world how you feel with the sound of a gat. We are, we are the youth of a nation. The U.S. suicide, in the U.S., suicide is the second leading cause of death among children and adolescents, ages 10 to 24. And the third leading cause of death among 12-year-olds. Nearly one of every eight children between the ages of 6 and 12 has suicidal This is according to the Boston Medical Journal. Fathers and mothers should be encouraging their children, not discouraging them. Let me give you a sister verse to Colossians 3.21. It's Ephesians 6.4. Why don't you turn there? Ephesians 6.4. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. It's almost identical to Colossians 3.21, isn't it? Do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is the parent's responsibility. This is the opposite of provoking your child to discouragement, bring them up. That's an ancient Greek word that was originally used for bodily nourishment. But the word came to be used for the nurture of body, mind, and soul. The form here in the Greek suggests development by care and pain. Say it again, development by care and pains. John Calvin translated it, let them be fondly cherished. Okay? This means, mom and dad, that you need to be a student of your child. You need to get back into school. You need to learn, and a lot of ways you already do know, but you need to know what makes them tick. You know, you've got some kids that you can just look at, and they will melt, and they will become obedient. And then you've got other kids that could wait till the end of the earth, and you can never get them to change or to submit. But every child has a switch. Every child has a place where you can flick that switch, and it will change the behavior. Your job is to find out what it is and where it is without killing the child. Okay. You need to know what their interests are. You need to know what their propensities are. You need to be able to be proactive in a situation because you can predict that if this situation happens, which we're about ready to get into, they're going to react this way and be proactive with it. You need to be proactive and say, well, you know what? They might fail in this. So for me, I'm going to just keep my mouth shut and let them work through it and be there on the side to help them if they need it. You need to become a student because it's your responsibility to develop them by care and by pain. The word training, it's the same word that's translated chastening in Hebrews 12. It has the idea of training through corrective discipline. Some discipline needs to be punitive, where you are punishing the child, because there's a big lesson that they're just not learning, then some discipline just needs to be the result of natural consequences. So that they learn that this isn't right, it's not good, but it's different than blatant disrespect and willful defiance. The father and mother not only use actions to raise the child, but they use also words. Words that can speak life or words that can do what? Can bring death. In the book of Proverbs, for example, we have uh, an inspired record of a father sharing wise counsel with the son. Our children don't always appreciate our counsel. Have you noticed that, guys? All right? But those of us who are older now, I'm not going to say old, but older. We have children coming back to us now saying, you know what, I rebelled against you over this, but you were right. Now, if we had created harsh tones with our children, if we didn't give bridges to be open for repentance and reaffirmation, every time we disciplined, they never would have come back and told me anything. But because... There was kindness and love shown while correcting and disciplining we still communicate now when we do correct our children and when we do instruct them it has to be tied to the word of god it has to be because that's where they're going to find their strength and their life to endure and persevere through trials like you're going through now turn to 2nd timothy chapter 3 2nd timothy chapter 3 Paul's talking to young Timothy and he's telling him in verse 14, you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Put your son or your daughter's name in these verses. Okay. I'm going to use heather's name but heather must continue in the things which she has learned and been assured of knowing from whom she learned them and that from childhood she has known the holy scriptures which are able to make her wise for salvation through faith which is in christ jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of god profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, so that Heather, a woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good word. I see in there both encouragement, direction, and prayer for my child and for your child. And parents, if you are not praying for your children, you're making a grave mistake because if you're not gonna pray for them, the enemy will pray on them. Um, Warren Wearsby tells a story of when the Supreme Court handed down its ruling against required prayer in the public schools back in the 60s. The famous editorial cartoonist Herblock published a cartoon in the Washington Post showing an angry father waving a newspaper at his family and shouting, what do they expect us to do? Listen to the kids pray at home? And he says the answer is, yeah, exactly. Home's a place where the children ought to learn about the Lord and the Christian life. Now understand, parents, you're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna make mistakes, but you just pray, persevere, Continue on the journey. Strive towards the goal of being the best parent you can be. And when you blow it, own it. Own it. Apologize. Even if they're too young to really understand what it is you're apologizing for. You might be surprised. They're more intuitive and know a lot more than you think they do. Um, I'd lost a, a good sum of money off of the top of my car, putting my daughter into the car seat. And uh, I had a big wad of cash that the youth had raised from, from a fundraiser for camp. And I set it on top of the car, and I, and I was trying to get her in the car, and you know how it is working with car seats, right? And just think back in the day, they were even worse than they are now. So un, very un, unwieldy. Anyway, I lost the money. It flew off the the back of my car and I couldn't find it anywhere, so I was really irritated. And I got in the car and I shut the door and and little Heather looks at me and says, Daddy, are you mad at me? And it just broke my heart because, you know, she hadn't done anything. And I pulled over the side of the road and I said, no sweetie, I'm just being a bad dad. And she reaches over and grabs my hand and begins to pat it and she says, that's okay, dad. Even when you're bad, I still love you. (laughs) We all make mistakes in parenting, but you got to persevere, you got to keep on, you got to own it, you got to apologize, and you got to repent. And when you do have to discipline, keep your cool, all right? Talk in calm, firm tones. In other words, you might take a professional attitude. Talk to them in the same manner you might talk to a superior coworker or boss. Avoid sarcasm, screaming, and swearing. Because if you're out of control, guys, I can tell you right now, in their eyes, you've lost all moral authority. If you can't control yourself, you're not going to control your job. All right, let's close with this. All right, um, life's not easy for children especially for Christian children. It's not easy being green. It's not easy being a kid. Now their problems might seem small to us, but to them they're quite large. Christian parents, you must learn to listen carefully. You need to share the feelings and the frustrations of your children. Pray with them. Encourage them. me We close with this last observation by Warren Wiersbe. He says, it's the home, not Disneyland, that ought to be the happiest and best place in all the world. If a home is truly Christian, it's a place of encouragement. In such a home, the child finds refuge from battles and yet strength to fight the battles and to carry the burdens of growing maturity. He finds a loving heart, a watching eye, a listening ear, and a helping hand. He does not want any other place. Home meets his needs. In this kind of a home, it is natural for the child to trust Christ and want to live for him. Amen? All right. Angel, why don't we come on up and let's, uh, Sammy? Let's pray Father thank you for your patience with us of being the supreme example of what a good parent is like you've never given up on us you've never chided us never screamed or been sarcastic. you have always had time to listen and to be a student of who we are. No one knows us better than you do, Lord. And though sometimes the directions we want to go, you know they're going to be painful. You do everything you can to help us avoid it, but yet when we choose our own way, you discipline us. With loving hands, redirecting us, correcting us. Help us to be like you, Lord. Help us to be like you. Forgive us for our impatience, forgive us for our self indulgence. Forgive us, Father. For often knowing what we should do. But not doing it. Those sins of omission. And bless us now. With another chance to do it right. Give us grace in the eyes of our children. And let, them, let us see them. With your eyes. We pray this in the name. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. All right, let's uh, let's go out the door the same way we came in. Praise.